And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, and today we're going to talk with Dr. Paul Lisnick about the perception that everything is politics, particularly when it comes to how cases are decided in the courts. Paul is a WGN-TV political analyst an analyst, and host of Politics Tonight on Chicagoland Television. He's also an attorney, and uh, really you've done a lot of things, uh, Paul, and so uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it was parental pressure. I had to keep working. No, oh, well, good. I'm glad you are because it looks like... More degrees, like... write books, make your parents happy. Uh, that's right. Well, where can the, the audience find out more about you if you've got a, a website or oh, where sure. can they yeah, tune they in? Can, well, they can either go to, uh, and thanks for asking, WGNTV.com, and then they can find me there. Or my own website is paullisnick.tv. Uh, L-I-S-N-E-K, and they can uh, certainly check out clips of, because uh, I, I, I have a bunch of interest. Politics, of course, is what I work uh, doing at WGN, but on the Comcast Net- Network, I host a Broadway show. So a person of several interests that all seem to come back to the world of effective communication and all of that. Well, I think it's great. I, you know, one of the things that we do as attorneys is communicate. We communicate in the courts. We communicate in uh, public relations, even when we have a case. But you've covered some of the uh, biggest cases that, uh, you know, the public is aware of, the O.J. Simpson well, yeah, trial. You know, part of my world that, that a lot of people don't know about is that um, I'm also a jury consultant or was a practicing jury consultant. Um, I began in that field back when the field was, it actually began in the 1960s. I, I was too young for that. But uh, when I got into it, in the mid-80s, it was still a very small field. You could, you know, count as a small group the number of jury consultants that were out there. Now there's many. Um, And the O.J. Simpson case sort of put the field of jury consulting on the map, um, although it had been around since the DeLorean case and other cases. As I said, it goes back back to the 1960s with folks like Jay Shulman uh, and others. But um, but because it was a, a small, finite group of people starting, like, for example, in the 80s and 90s, when, if you were a jury consultant, you had the opportunity to work in some of the biggest cases. So my office picked the jury, uh, along with Johnny Cochran in the O.J. Simpson case. Uh, we did the Casey Anthony case, the Tot Mom case, uh, the uh, 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 mayor of Detroit uh, case uh, recently, uh, Whitewater. So I can go on and on. And, and by the way, if your listeners are Dr. Phil fans, Dr. Phil became Dr. Phil because he was the jury consultant for Oprah Winfrey. In, in the case she was involved with, she loved him and turned him into Dr. Phil. Wow. Well, that's a, a, if you are consulting people and attorneys and helping attorneys select a jury, I think one of the things that I want to focus on, uh, obviously, juries consider a lot of things. And you're probably very familiar with not only the O.J. Simpson case, but you probably watched the documentary. And I just got finished watching it, and I think it just re- received a lot of Emmys. Um, one of the questions is, when you look at the O.J. Simpson case or other cases, you look at what the law is and you look at what the facts are, and then you ask yourself, well, doesn't that lead to this conclusion? But I think a lot of people are sitting back after watching that documentary and watching other cases or divided Supreme Court opinions, and they're saying, you know what, doesn't this all get down to just the politics of it? And what would you say in response? That it's a very complex answer. 
And, and yes, there are politics involved, although not necessarily in every case. I, I think the, the best way to answer that is, and I should clarify, that during the O.J. Simpson case, that while my office was working in the case, selecting the jury uh, for the defense, I had opted to stay out of the case actively and work for NBC. NBC had called and said, would I be the jury expert for that case, which I did, and stayed on with NBC for a while after that. So my day was spent uh, while I was in court, but it was spent not interacting with the team as much as it was talking about Lauer and Katie Couric sure. uh, on the Today Show where Tom Brokaw at night, so I, w- I had sort of a different role. But that being said, one of the things you know we, we know about that that case that kind of triggers so much is that you know it, it was a payback case. I think that the the jurors, some of whom said afterwards that this was their way for the way African Americans have been treated by the the justice system, uh, which was not terribly fair. It's, it's, it, you could make that very same argument today, um, and there's certainly evidence to suggest that if a crime is committed, you are going to pay a harsher price and a more certain price if you are a minority than if you are white. And um, so, the, so the system has flaws in it. In O.J. Simpson, it appeared that uh, the jury was going to get their payback. That trial went on for six months. And I remember that when the jury was sent back to deliberate, Johnny Cochran got on a plane. He was flying to San Francisco. I was on my way to the airport to go back to Chicago. Everybody's going on their way because we all figured we had at least a couple of weeks while this jury deliberated. I didn't make it to the airport when my phone, well, at that time it was a pager, but my pager is buzzing from NBC going, the jury's coming back. Three and a half hours is all it took them. Now, in three and a half hours, you are not doing a serious and sincere and thorough review of the evidence you've had presented for six months. You're acting out of your gut instinct. Right. And um, that's what that was about. Wow. So, I mean, in terms of the, I guess, the follow-up question then, is is this a miscarriage of justice? I mean, I think what you're alluding to is the broader scope of you know, what they had experienced in L.A., and this is payback. But uh, can we look think, look at things in a case-by-case scenario, or are we looking at justice kind of as a universal thing that it's almost like the karma? Well, look, people bring their life experience to the jury box. And so when you do watch cases on television or in the news, you know, they, they want seven-second sound bites from their experts. So even when I would do the coverage, it was sort of like, you know, who do you want? Black, white, uh, you know, how old, male, female. It's these demographic kinds of things. Sure. But jurors make decisions based on life experience. And so, again, an OJ comment, when the decision to put that trial based in downtown Los Angeles uh, clearly produced a result that I think would have been different had they tried the case in Brentwood or in, in some other different kind of area, right? That, that makes a difference. You're going with life experience. So is that politics? Well, I guess it depends how you look at it, and it depends on the life experience. I, I ran into Gil Garcetti, who was the, the DA at the time of O.J., and he told me before the trial began, he said, you know, Paul, I've got more evidence against O.J. than I have in 90% of the cases that I win. So there was very little um, worry on the part of the prosecution that they were going to get a victory. And typically, as you know, no, prosecutors do generally win their cases. Sure. And, um, uh, and the reason that case got lost, in my opinion, and if you did watch the, 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 were the two documentaries, I didn't watch the ESPN one, but I watched the 10-part one on whatever it was, FX or something. And um, I was waiting to see who played me. Um, but, but anyway, so it, what really what happened was uh, that the prosecution, Marsha Clark, had their own research. Uh, they worked with a guy named Howard Berinsky, and he did their research. And she knew exactly what Johnny Cochran and his team knew. The difference was Marsha Clark rejected it. She said this profile of African-American women in their 50s with a certain experience, those are not defense jurors. They are my jurors. So in the end, both 
sides were essentially putting the same kind of person on the jury, but they were all defense jurors. And I remember Johnny Cochran telling me the story that the night the jury selection was completed, the defense team had a, had a champagne toast wow. and basically said, it doesn't get any better than this. This and is so- Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the law firm Malcolm Baker. Today we're speaking with Dr. Paul Lisnick about the role of politics in the law and how cases are decided. Uh, we're talking now about the jury selection in the O.J. Simpson case. And I think for me, um, perhaps this is just a jurisprudential philosophic question, is how is justice accomplished uh, when we've got, I guess, so many different um, perspectives, when you have people who have so many different life experiences and justice is either something that's relative to each person or is there something that transcends each person's perspective and kind of a standard that we can say this is just or unjust regardless of your, your, your heritage, your history, your ethnicity? Well, I, I don't know that I would look at anybody's heritage or ethnicity uh, background and, 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 you know, sort of judge the decisions they make. I would simply be aware that that becomes the mechanism by which they will make their decisions. How can it not be? You know, if you've had a lifetime where you've had difficult uh, experiences with police officers, if you get the, the opportunity to judge some, that's going to impact you. It just is sure. um, uh, in whatever way that it does. I think... One way to look at this, and, and the O.J. Simpson case is such a great uh, vehicle for this because it, it truly changed, changed the course, I think, of how cases get tried and how law gets practiced. But, but that being said, you, you know, if for, for your listeners who said, yeah, Simpson, man, he got away with murder, which he ultimately didn't, right, because he, went, he you know, got convicted on another crime and will, may spend so many years in jail. But, but in that crime, for folks that say, you know, he got away with murder and we know he did it, here's the thing. There was certainly enough challenge. He had the resources for the defense team to challenge so much of the evidence that came in. Example, all of the stuff that they gathered at the scene was to be kept in a refrigerated truck in order to preserve the evidence. It was broken. They had the killer's DNA, and this is the case to put DNA on the front burner, and it was on Nicole Brown Simpson. They wrapped her in a blanket. It completely destroyed any ability to identify the DNA that was used. So my point is is that even if in your gut your listeners say, he did it, I know it, he got away with murder, I would say then there is a greater point of justice here because if indeed Johnny Cochran and O.J. had the resources to have that kind of dream team with him, if they were able to essentially challenge the evidence and say, wait a minute, your refrigerator truck was broken, wait a minute, you wrapped her in a blanket destroying the evidence, then you know what? Better a guilty person goes free of a crime when the cops don't play by the rules than an innocent person is put away or killed, executed for a crime they didn't do. Yeah, and you know that's the uh, a lot of the constitutional pres- principle. You know the presumption of innocence, and uh, what we are trying to do in order to protect protect the innocent uh, from false prosecutions. And I think that's a great point. Um, there's a lot that I think we need to uh, discuss uh, in, in the second half, which is when when you're looking at things like the Supreme Court decisions, because I think more and more we're finding those are the you know the political hot buttons, what they want to talk about on. Uh, the nightly news and what, uh, you know, divides our country politically. And so now with the absence of Justice Scalia, uh, even more attention is going to be put on uh, this election because who's going to be appointing basically the the makeup of the court uh, for the next 50 years, perhaps, as some well, may have I, I don't mean to cut you off, no, but please. talk about the politics of all this. There has been an appointment made, sure. and his name is Judge Merrick Garland, yeah. and the president execute, exercised his constitutional responsibility to do it. So you want to talk about politics, and I, this is not a comment about whether Merrick Garland should sit on the Supreme Court, but it is a comment about saying you have the Republican Congress essentially getting in the way, not even granting Judge Garland a hearing 
give him an up or down vote to decide whether you want him to sit on the yep. court because they've decided that President Obama no longer has the authority to make well, the, let's make talk, the appointment. Yeah, let's talk about that. We've, we're coming up on the break. So coming up, we're going to talk more with Dr. Paul Lisnick. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. We're going to talk about politics and the law, the perception that everything is politics, uh, even how cases are decided. If you have any legal needs, if you're a church or ministry out there and you need help, call us at Malkin Baker, 312-726-1243. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Starrett, partner of the law firm Mauk and Baker in Chicago. We're talking with political analyst Dr. Paul Lisnick. Uh, we spent some time talking about the O.J. Simpson jury. Uh, we, you just mentioned uh, Justice Garland, Judge Garland, and the appointment uh, the president has made um, or the, the nomination. He wants to, him to be on the court. Um, you were alluding to the fact that it was a political decision to uh, basically oppose. Uh, having an up to, up or down vote in Congress. And I think one of the things that that causes me to think of is I think anytime we win a case um, in court, we say, well, yes, it was according to the facts, the law, justice was served. And anytime we lose a case, uh, it's easy to say, and I, I've done it myself. Obviously, it was just a political decision. It was a political, it was a, the other side reached a political means, obviously, in defiance of the law or disregarding certain facts. Uh, you know, if you look at the O.J. Simpson case or, you know, uh, whether or not you see a Supreme Court decision going one way or the other. And so to talk to me about what you think is going on in the Supreme Court and the perception. Is it a right perception that I think a broad uh, swath of uh, the public have that really these decisions are just going to fall along political lines? Well, I'm not sure whether they're falling along political lines or ideological lines, and I'm not sure there's a difference between the two sometimes. <laughs> okay, well, what, what's, what is the difference in your mind? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, I don't believe that uh, Justice Ginsburg and Sotomayor and Kagan and Stephen Breyer, I don't believe those four liberal justices uh, vote a certain way because they're Democrats or because they're appointed by Democrats, but I think because they do have a certain mindset, a, a certain liberal bend, one could argue they're probably Democrats. Sure. Uh, and sometimes you know and sometimes you don't. Uh, and similarly, on the, on the opposite side of it, with Alito and Roberts and uh, uh, Thomas, you know, you've got justices who clearly you would, are on the conservative end of things. Does that mean they're Republican? I don't know. I guess they are. Um, so that's why I say it's really more about the ideology than, than the party. I will say that I interviewed Justice Ginsburg once for, for my television show and asked her whether or not when a justice res, uh, retires, when they can control that. Obviously, for example, Justice Scalia, he passed away. He couldn't control that. But do they try and retire during the term of a president uh, who is of the same party as the, par- as the president who appointed them? And she said yes, uh, meaning that Justice Ginsburg would, have, would try to retire under a Democratic president uh, because that's who appointed her and that keeps the balance on the court. So it goes back to, again, the, the, the Merrick Garland situation we talked about just before the break, which is the president has made his appointment. That's what he's required to do. The Congress is required to take it up. And, you know, now if you have some listeners out there who are saying, uh, you know, who don't like Obama and decide, well, they're doing the right thing. They, they, you know, we should wait. We should let the new uh, president make the appointment. I'm absolutely convinced that if the result of the election is a Hillary Clinton victory, mm-hmm. you will find Mitch McConnell doing somersaults to find a way to let that vote happen on Merrick Garland, because 
the Republicans will be far better off with the moderate Merrick Garland than they would be with whoever Hillary Clinton uh, appoints. At the same time, of course, if Trump wins, then, then the strategy is paid off, which is let's wait, because now we're going to get a much more conservative pick. So my point is, if your listeners want that conservative pick, that's what they're after. So therefore, they think Mitch McConnell is right and Obama is wrong. What I suggest to you is, sorry, you're wrong. It is not about who ends up on the court. It's about the process. And the process, and the president has done what he needs to do, and the Senate needs to, to do what they need to do, whatever the outcome. But uh, you also mentioned that there's really the ideological difference. And so it does matter who is put on the court. And so w- w- talk to me more about what you consider to be the ideological split on the court. Well, I, I think when you start talking about ideology and, and, and issues of faith and, and background, you know, I mean, if you think about it, you don't ever, when you're talking about who you want to sit on the Supreme Court or when, when presidential candidates like Trump and Clinton start talking about who they want to sit on the court, they don't talk about who, how they're going to vote in some limited tax provision sure. that makes its way up to the court or some admiralty issue that makes its way. And I don't say that to be facetious. One of the things that Justice Ginsburg said to me in our interview, she said, you know, she said, the public looks at a handful of cases that we do every year, and that seems to be what the whole term is about. Right. She says, we do dozens and dozens of cases nobody cares about. And a lot of them are unanimous decisions. I think one of the things about the Roberts Court has been the uh, remarkable number of cases that have been decided unanimously. Except on the big issues. On the big issues, Uh Right. I mean, they, and you're right about that on, on the issues that nobody's following. And, and if, you, if you go look at those up, you'll see that you're absolutely right. Uh, you have uh, oftentimes unanimous court, uh, and even, which means even that Scalia and, and Ginsburg, who are on opposite sides of the spectrum, they actually agreed on a lot of those kinds of cases. Mm-hmm. But it's when you get the abortion cases, yep. the gay rights cases, uh, the capital punishment cases, when, you, when you're into that world, those are the kind of things that truly uh, affirmative action cases that trigger people's ideology. And what I attempt to do, you know, when you have a conservative and liberal sort of talking together, somebody supports gay marriage, somebody doesn't, you know, it's a very difficult decision. What I attempt to do in those conversations, because I do television and because I have guests on both sides of that that spectrum on all issues, I find a way to respect the other side. I don't talk about how I view an issue, but but I find a way to respect whichever side I'm getting, because that's the only way you ever get to some kind of agreement when you look at somebody who doesn't see the world the way you do and try and talk through it with respect. Yes, and you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of Malkin Baker. You're, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Dr. Paul Lisnick. Uh, again, where can they find out more about you and your work? Well, they can find me on WGN-TV doing all the morning shows, talking politics. I'm the political analyst for WGN-TV, and my nightly show is called Politics Tonight, which they can view on CLTV. It also streams online. Uh, they can get information from me on the website, WGNTV.com, or my website, which is TV. And I've written a bunch of books and uh, tapes. I've written, in fact, I wrote a book called The Hidden Jury, which is all about my work as a jury consultant in the OJ case and all of that. So lots of, lots of good stuff out there. Yeah, and I think one of the things you just said I think is critical. Uh, you know, the people in America, you know, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just my perception, there's um, a growing divide. There's a lot of uh, polarization uh, along ideological grounds, and I think one of the things that has been most disheartening for me is to see how it has uh, frayed uh, or ruined our ability to have uh, polite, respectful discourse with those who we disagree with. We are easy uh, to paint the other side as the the devil, and um, you know, use all the names of uh, <laughs> you know we want uh, rather than dealing with the 
the sub the substance of you know the ideas that are being put forth and uh, what do you, what have you seen are we more divided are we less divided have you seen a, a kind of a straining of the public discourse I mean you've you've watched this both with the talking heads uh, from the news perspective but also just probably um, as you're reading the news as well. I don't think there's any question that we're more politically divided than we've been in, certainly in my lifetime and my memory. Um, and part of that gets fed by, by, by a variety of things. First of all, of course, we now have 24 hour media. When I was growing up, we didn't have Fox News and MSNBC and, or CNN. Um, you know, we had 257 and 9, right? That's the major networks, uh, is all we knew growing up in the Chicagoland area. Um, so part of that is, is, is fed by the fact that if you are of a liberal bent, you can watch MSNBC 24 hours a day. You're conservative. Turn on Fox News. Have a good time. Everybody's got what they need, and it, and it fosters their views, and they, and they hear views that often support their worldview. And, and therefore, that emboldens people to go out in the world and take on their discussions and their conflicts uh, in terms of you know, uh, verbal battles with other people who don't see the things their way because we are supported by watching the television shows that, that do support us. So I think that's problematic. Um, and, and I'm always, as I say, careful. i do not taking positions in the election. I don't. But I have to say the kind of discourse that we've heard in the election, I don't care if you love Donald Trump, you hate Donald Trump, it's not my point. My point is that when anybody is is at a podium and they are they are attacking other people, being you know using ad hominem argument against other people, this is not good for the for the you know a kumbaya moment for the bridging together of people in a political season. So if you love Donald Trump, you, you, then you're mad at me for even saying that because you're saying, but he speaks the truth. My point is, I don't care if he speaks the truth. That is not the kind of discourse we need moving forward in an election season from yeah. anybody, him, her, Hillary Clinton, anybody else. Yeah. Um, we need to focus in on issues and get positions set out. Yeah, well, I don't think he speaks the truth, and I also disagree with his attacking of uh you know Clinton, and uh, I think she's done the same in the in the last week. You know, with the uh, they're all guilty, deplorable. Yeah, and and it's and it's really disheartening to me. I'm uh, I I can't find a way of supporting either one on a basis of truth or or tactics, and so uh, frankly discouraged and uh, but encouraged. Hopefully, the uh, bad example will show us. Uh, maybe provide us the contrast we need to say. Well, we need something better. We need something better in our political discourse. We need something better. Otherwise, we're going to further divide, and uh, you know, a lot is lost when we, um, you know, retract, you know, retract back into our echo chambers. If we have a moment, I, can, I, I think I can give kind of an explanation. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going, "How do we even end up here?" And I can explain it. It's redistricting. Because of the way the redistricting rules work, and I'm not just talking about Illinois, I'm talking about throughout the country, lines get drawn that essentially guarantee, as you know, Noel, certain districts will be Democrat, others will be Republican. It guarantees the base of power. Why does that matter? That matters because it essentially means that the only elections that matter are the primaries. Because what happens when you have primaries and you're in a Republican district, for example, mm-hmm. you have conservatives against conservatives, and with the way things are these days, you, you have Tea Party candidates who are wiping out the more moderate Republicans. So you see, it's, by the time you get to the general election, and the same can be said with, with um, you know, Democratic districts going sure. more liberal, by the time you get to the general election, you've gone to the fringes, and that's who you've put out front, and general elections matter less and less with the way districts get drawn these days, and that's one of the reasons for the push for redistricting reform, which at least in the state of Illinois is probably not going to happen not in quite a while like under the current leadership. Right. But that's the problem. The elections are essentially decided in many, many cases 
in the primaries, not the general. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I didn't think we were going to end this and ultimately resolve this down to redistricting, but I'm, uh, I appreciate the surprise. I think it sure. makes sense. It's very plausible, and uh, I'll have to look into it. I would encourage everybody uh, to take a look, uh, both at Dr. Lisnick's programming and also his books online. Um, we appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. We're going to wrap it up, and um, just thank you again. Hey, it's my pleasure. And if anybody disagreed with what I said or agreed with what I said, just remember it wasn't me, it was you. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, <laughs> That's if you have a le- philosophy. Right. If you have a legal need or question and you want uh, an attorney to help, please call us at Malkin Baker, 312-726-1243. Or look us up online at MalkBaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.